You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. We've been talking about dollars and cents, and we're talking about money as it pertains to God's wisdom and counsel. And in the Old Testament, there is a portion of Scripture that is referred to as the wisdom literature, and it gives us common sense, God's truth applied into everyday life. And we've been looking at how that applies to our finances. For those of you that maybe haven't been here for the last two Sundays, you should know that we haven't been talking about giving our money away, but rather how we can be better stewards or more responsible with what God has given us. How we can use what He's given us to be more faithful to our families. We've talked about how we will never be able to buy what it is that we need, the thing that we desire. Uh, Most in this life cannot be supplied by a certain amount of money. It's only through the Lord. And then last week, we looked at the fact that the way that we spend uh, and the way that we, we, we use our money, if we use it irresponsibly, uh, it's going to constantly lead us uh, to ruin. That we need to take time to consider the way that we spend, to consider the purchases that we make. And today, I want to just give you a little bit of a tip on the very best place to find money. Now, I'm sure that every one of you at your house, if when you were a kid and the ice cream truck came rolling by, right? <laughs> And you heard that, right? Uh, For some of you, like me, you learned pretty quickly that the best way to get money was not to go to mom when the ice cream cart came by, right? Because mom would always say, we don't have money for that, right? So I would then go looking other places for money. And I'd learned that one of the best places to find money in our house was in the couch, in the couch cushions. Because my dad would always be losing change out of his jeans in the couch cushions. So I would go flip over uh, the couch cushions looking for money. And so when I heard the ice cream truck, I'd flip over the couch cushions looking for money. And if my brother and sister already hadn't gotten it, I'd get some money and try to go out and buy some ice cream. As we get older, uh, the things that we want to spend money on um, become more expensive. But we still find ourselves constantly looking for money to buy what we want or as adults, perhaps even what we need. And I want to tell you the best place to go looking for money as an adult. Nowadays, you don't find much money in the couch cushions because we use credit cards and plastic. We don't carry cash very much. We leave our change in the cup holder in the car, etc. By the way, kids, that's another good place to look for money. (laughs) So where can you find money as an adult? This morning, I want to tell you that the best place to find money is at work. That when we go to work, when we conduct the the business, when we go to put in a good day's labor, that that is the very best place that we can find money, not only because it's where we'll get paid, but also because there is a sense of satisfaction from putting in a day's labor and receiving a day's wages. Many times we act as though work is a part of the curse of this world. That because we have to work, that it's because this world is so broken, and in heaven we won't have to work. And if you look back at the Garden of Eden, it was after they sinned that suddenly they had to work by the sweat of their brow. But you need to be clear on the fact that work was a part of the story before sin entered into the picture. That before Adam and Eve committed the first sin, broke the first commandment, that God gave them responsibility in the garden. We were created... For work. We were designed for work. And so work is the very best place for us to go and find money because when we do so, we follow the design that God has given us. You were designed, you were created 
for the purpose of accomplishing something in this world, making a difference. And some of us, we get to do that in our work. Some of us, we, we get to do that in the way that we volunteer. But God has not called us to sit back. And so I want to I show you from God's Word in Proverbs chapter 10 how the very best place for us to find money is at work. So look at Proverbs chapter 10. Let's start reading in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, A wise son maketh, glad, uh, maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. He that walketh uprightly walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. Scripture makes it clear throughout Proverbs and here in this passage that God expects us to be the opposite of lazy. He expects us to go to work. And He shows us in His Word that when we are faithful to be diligent, that we will have what we need. Before I tackle this, though, I feel like there's a couple of qualifications, three qualifications, really, that I need to make. First of all, I need you to understand that no matter how much money you find at work, you will never be able to out-earn reckless spending. You can get a pay raise at work that increases your wages by double, by, by tenfold. But if you still spend recklessly, you will find yourself still without money. If you doubt this, look at the many people who have been celebrities and made millions of dollars on movies and yet find themselves defaulting on their taxes because they don't have enough money to pay their income tax. Look at the many athletes who have made millions of dollars and end up with nothing. Did you know that there's uh, companies that pop up whenever there's a baseball strike or whenever there's an NBA strike? Because they know that those stars are going to need cash desperately, that they're willing to pay upwards of 17% in interest. And they will loan millions of dollars to these athletes at this high interest rate because the athletes have to have that money until the strike is over. They can't make it without that incoming money. You see, even though they're making a lot of money, they're not out-earning their ability to spend. And if you go to work and work hard at two or three jobs and get bonuses and commissions, but you still spend recklessly, you're never going to get ahead. I remember years ago, somebody told me, you can't outwork a bad diet. And I was like, man, that is so true. Because there was a time that I was training for a marathon, a full marathon, running 18 miles in a week. You know what I was doing? 
I was still managing to gain weight. That takes dedication, not only to run that far, but to eat that much. <laughs> but instead of using that, that extra energy being put out and running, I use it as an excuse to eat more. On those Saturdays that I ran that extra, I'd say, well, I ran 18 miles this morning. I can eat what I want. And the same thing happens in our brains when we get a Christmas bonus or we get a bump in pay. We say, well, I just got a raise. I can spend some more money. And we spend it all and it's gone before we know it. So before I talk to you about earning money and working, let me be clear that you can never earn enough to offset irresponsible spending. Secondly, I want to be clear that at some point, work brings about diminishing returns. Diminishing returns with something stops paying as well or paying at all. And the truth is that some of you, you're going to take overtime this week because it pays so good. So good. So you're going to work an extra 20 hours because the pay is just great. But at some point, you have to stop working. If you take an extra 40 hours, or an extra 50 hours, as some of you have done before. At some point, it stops paying to work that much. Because you just get to the point where you're never at home to even spend the money that you're making. Or you're making yourself so sick that you're going to have to take off the next week of work to get well and then spend that extra money you made on overtime to pay for the doctor's prescriptions that you need. I'm going to talk to you about the importance of work but let me be clear, work is not the end-all, cure-all. At some point, it brings about diminishing returns. And then third, I want to point out, as Scripture makes it really clear throughout the Old Testament, not all poverty is a result of a refusal to work. The Old Testament talks a lot about mercy and justice for the oppressed and the poor. And when we look at passages like we're about to look at in Proverbs, it's easy for us to fall in this mode of thinking, well, the reason that people are poor is because they're lazy. And I'm not poor like those people because I work hard. In some cases, that is true, but not in every case. There are many people who are oppressed. They are manipulated by those that are in power. Those that are in power have hoarded all of the money for themselves. My grandfather, when he retired from ministry, he began to do mission work in Haiti, and he took nearly 20 trips uh, to Haiti over the course of several years. I remember when he came back, he was showing me and the family some pictures of his most recent trip, and, and he showed us first a picture of this, of this shanty town, all of these houses that were constructed with sections of tin roofing. That's what all of the house was constructed out of. The walls, everything was out of that. And then beyond that was this just pool of human waste because there was no plumbing, there was no sewage. But just up the street, there was this beautiful, splendid palace where the head of state lived because he was hoarding all of the money for himself. And some of the people that my grandfather worked with were incredibly industrious and hardworking, but because of the country that they lived in and the corruption in their government, it was very difficult for anyone to get ahead. So we should be careful that we don't develop this attitude that anyone who is in poverty, anyone who is poor, is because they're lazy. That's not always the case. In our country, it's less that government oppresses people and more that corporations oppress people. 
I like what I heard someone say recently. Isn't it amazing when the stock market soars, it means basically nothing to everyday blue-collar working Americans like you and me? But when the stock market plummets, those same everyday blue-collar working Americans lose their jobs. It seems that in, in our country, in our nation, there are many corporations that are just taking advantage of people. That while, while some CEOs will come out and say that they are struggling to find ways to spend their money, their employees struggle to make ends meet. Jeff Bezos, who is the CEO of Amazon, has basically said that he is, he is developing space exploration as a hobby because he has so much money to spend on it. Meanwhile, many of his employees struggle to make ends meet. And so we need to be careful that we don't have this skewed idea that just because people are working hard that everything is going to be okay. But what Proverbs does teach us here is that if we are willing to work, generally, not always, but generally, we will find ourselves with what we need. It will lead to plenty. This proverb tells us diligence and wisdom leads to plenty. Verse 4 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Verse 5 says, He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. And what we have here is the pairing of hard work and wisdom together. When we're willing to work hard and we're willing to constantly search for the very best means or opportunity for us to put our labor into use, we will lead towards plenty. Scripture encourages us to not only work hard, but to work smart. To be paying attention to the seasons. And for those that lived in an agricultural society, everything rose and fell on the seasons. In our world today, it often rises and falls on the economy. And here this passage is saying that a wise son makes hay when the sun shines, basically. That's what my father used to say all the time. Make hay while the sun shines. You've got to get the hay in. You've got to get the straw in. And for those of you that have ever dealt with bales of hay, you know that that is hard work, right? And when you're doing hard work like that, you can really value every opportunity that you have to work smart. And Scripture is telling us that we should do both. That we should work hard, but also work smart. To work in the season that is the most appropriate. There's a time for harvest and a time for sowing and planting. If you try to harvest in the time of sowing, if you try to harvest before it's time, you miss the harvest. You miss out on it. And if so, you're a fool. I was recently working with some people who were trying to write a grant uh, to do some, some work in our community. And they, they wanted to meet with somebody that was um, engaged in the Chandler community. And so I was at the school speaking uh, to this group of people. And they said, what do you think is, is maybe one of the most the positive attributes of the people of Chandler in the community? And I said, first off, I said, they're hardworking people. Chandler is a blue-collar community. They're hardworking people. They do most labor themselves. They don't pay someone to change their oil. They do that themselves. I remember I had not lived here very long, and somebody gave us a gift certificate to have our oil changed. 
And so I went and had the oil changed, and I was mentioning in a sermon like this, some Ill sermon illustration from my experience of having the oil changed, and afterwards the guy said, you pay somebody to change your oil? And it was like, I was second class, you know? <laughs> Not long after we moved here, I had some problems with our car, and I went up to Chandler Auto Parts here uh, and needed to buy a part, and I was talking to uh, Ray McIntyre, many of you remember him, and uh, telling him the problem I was having with my car. And he kept looking at me kind of like, do you have tools for that, you know? And, and I said, I know how to work on my car. And he's like, okay, I just said, I knew you were from Virginia, and I just wasn't sure, I didn't want to <laughs> assume, you know. Well, the culture in this community is that we work hard, we do a lot of work ourselves. <laughs> And I think that in our community, it, it's pretty common for people to be hard workers. The Scripture's telling us here that we need to be diligent and wise in our work. That we need to think clearly about the type of work that we do, the places that we work for. And some of you, you work hard, and that is noble, but I'd encourage you to think wisely about the place that you work. It is something that you can do your entire life. Are there some preparations that you should make? Is this the season when you can harvest, but there is a winter that is coming? Think clearly about the season that you're in. But when we pair our work ethic with the desire to learn and to apply the truth, specifically of God's word, we will lead our lives generally in the direction of plenty, of having what it is that we need, and even some of what we want. I read a fascinating account some time ago about the incredible work ethic that is very common in the culture in Asia. And the author was saying that he believed that this was instilled deeply, ingrained deeply in the culture of these small communities in Asia because many of the people were rice farmers. Now, in, in our agricultural community, there is a time for planting and a time for harvest, and there's a lot of work that goes into that. But in the rice paddies, those that work hard and also use the very best skills and techniques on their rice paddies can actually get three rice crops every year. They can actually have three seasons of planting and harvesting. If they work incredibly hard and use the very best techniques and skill, not only is there one crop that they harvest, there are three. Because that has been the ethic and the culture of that society. They work not only extremely hard, but they are constantly using whatever techniques they can to best water their rice fields and rice paddies. And I think that we would do well to learn from that example and the example that's laid out in God's Word. That we are not only to be hard workers, but we are to be hard workers who trust in the wisdom of God's Word and follow its direction. It's another famous passage in Proverbs that tells those that are lazy, to go and consider the ant, how hard the ant works. But the ant not only works hard, the ant works smart and concert with all of these other ants. And if you look at an ant farm and you see the complex tunnels that they build for storing all of their food, there is this example of hard work, carrying pieces of food that are much larger than, but also in being wise and storing up for the coming winter developing this complex maze of tunnels where they can 
hold on to their food. I would tell you that the world is changing at a faster pace today than ever before. And here in our culture, here in the Midwest, we would do well to consider the season that we're in because hard work is honorable. Hard work is something that God calls us to, but we also need to be wise in the work that we do. We consider that, that some of the jobs that we work hard at are not always available to us. They won't always be around, or we won't always be up to doing them. Scripture laid out a plan that the people had for cultivating crops, raising families, and then caring for their older people. Right now in America, we are facing a crisis of those that are retiring, and there being so few that are supplementing that Social Security benefit program. We need to be wise and preparing for the winter. Working hard, but also working smart and saving for the future. The proverb also shows us that laziness and foolishness lead to want. If you're unwilling to work hard, if you're unwilling to watch for the changes that come about in seasons, you will be in want. And when Scripture uses these terms, we should be careful to be, be clear on the fact that it's not talking about the 40-hour work week. The Scripture says here, if you're unwilling to be diligent and hardworking, it's not talking about if you're unwilling to show up at work. Because these people didn't go to an office where they put in 40 hours and they punched a time clock and they filled out their TPS reports, right? They didn't go to a place where they had assembly lines. They went out into their own fields. They went out into their own wilderness to hunt their game, to raise up their crops, to build things. They were self-directed. And I think that we need to be careful that we don't think, I go to work every day so I'm not lazy. We need to show diligence not only in the work that we do when we show up there, but that we take ownership of our own financial responsibility. It cannot be on the shoulders of that corporation to provide for you for your whole life. It's not just showing up at an office. It's not just putting in your time at a factory. It's speaking of being a diligent person in whatever you do. And for some of us, going to a place where we work is the most diligent form of providing for our families. But there are other things that you can do as well. Right now, we're seeing a major shift in our economy, a major shift in our world where people are doing what is called side hustles or participating in the gig economy. They're looking for extra work outside of work. It's an economy where people make incredible amount of money um, driving cars or completing tasks. Whatever it is that we have opportunity to do, we need to be diligent about it. And that diligence doesn't end when we get a job. That diligence doesn't end when we have someone who's employed us. We must remain diligent. We must remain faithful to earn for our families, provide for those who care, on us, care for us. You see, you can go to work and still be a lazy fool, but you won't have that job for long. And when that job goes away, you'll be looking for a way to provide for your family. Lastly, I want to show you that in the beginning of this proverb, we see it once again, what we most need cannot be earned no matter how hard we work or how smart we work. Verse 2 says, The treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. 
Verse 3 says, The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. God actively works against the wicked. God actively works for and on behalf of those who are righteous. But more importantly than all of that, that proverb says that the righteous will be delivered from death. Do you know that no matter how hard you work, you cannot earn eternal life? That there might be some great bonuses at your job, there might be some great retirement benefits that you get, but there is no job that is offering eternal life as a part of its pay package. You might have an incredible golden parachute, but you will not have eternal life. And Scripture makes it clear here that God will deliver the righteous from death. And that is something that we cannot earn. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, that is a gift of God. It is grace. It is not something you earn. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn that. It can only be given to you. It's a gift. Boys and girls, I want you to imagine that it's your birthday. When you come to church, I say, hey, listen, I got a gift for you at my house. So after church, I want you to come to my house. I'm going to give you a gift. And when you get there, I say, oh, hey, I'm so happy it's your birthday. Listen, my grass is kind of long, and I need you to mow that. And so if you'll mow it, I'll give you your gift. Is that a gift? That's a payment, right? A gift is when it's given to you. And all you have to do to have it is accept it. That's a gift. And Scripture is telling us that righteousness something only, only can be given by God. Eternal life, only something that can be given by God. We're called to be hard workers. We're called to be diligent. But we can never work hard enough to earn the thing that we most need. We cannot earn God's grace. We can't earn eternal life. And I'm afraid that for us, hard-working, blue-collar, Midwest culture people, it's hard for us to get a hold of that, that the greatest thing in life is a gift and not something that we work hard for. Because we work so hard for everything else. We come by everything else so honestly. We feel like we have to earn this. But it can't be earned. And we can be in church and miss the boat on the fact that God's grace is a gift that it is given to us. I'm reminded of the story of a little boy who attended church with his parents every week. And their church, when they would have communion every so often, they would have a special offering just before communion. And that special offering would go to help missionaries and help the poor. So when he went to church with his family, they would give him a little dime that he could put in the offering plate as it passed. And then when it came time for communion, they wouldn't give him any offering. This happened several times. And then finally one Sunday, they gave him a dime to put in the offering plate for the first offering. He did, and they had an extra dime, so they gave him a dime to put in that offering as well. And so he did. And when it came time to go forward and take communion, he stood up with his parents and they said, no, honey, you're... You're not ready to take communion. And he said, but, loudly, in front of everybody, but I paid for it. <laughs> in his mind, the offering, that second offering, was how you paid for communion. I'm afraid that we think that our presence at church or our service or our offerings, that that pays for something. We don't earn what God gives us. The sacrifice of Christ was a gift for us. 
The communion that they were taking was to represent that sacrifice of Jesus' body and His blood for us so that we could be given this gift. Jesus paid that price for us. We can't pay it. I've mentioned several things that my dad has said. A lot of that wisdom got passed down from my grandmother. When I think about my, my dad and my grandmother, I think about when we would go out to eat after Sunday church or celebrate somebody's birthday, there would always be a fight when it came time to pay the bill. They would fight over who was going to get to pay. No, don't, don't give the bill to him, I'm going to pay. Let's not live our lives fighting over who's going to pay this bill because there's only one who can pay it. Jesus is the only one who can provide us with righteousness and eternal life. Imagine fighting over the bill and you finally get it and then you look and you say, well, I can't pay this. And you take it after all. This, this is a bill that we can't pay. No matter how hard we work, no matter how smart we work, we cannot pay the bill for our righteousness. That is something that God must do. Let's bow our heads for a word.